You're listening to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things, putting purpose to pain, turning men into soldiers, and weaponizing testimonies. I'm Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. Hello, and welcome to the Over a Drink podcast, the podcast that is dedicated to normalizing normal men talking about normal things. I am Mitch Parsons, and I am your host. This is episode 12, uh, which is crazy because it feels like I just started this a month ago, and I did, but you guys are getting this three months uh, into it just because of the way that we are backdating things. Uh, The concept of this show is uh, all about, or it's all centered around being over a drink. Uh, That doesn't always have to be alcohol or coffee today, I think. Um, Oh, I know that I'm drinking uh, water because hydration is key. And my host, Brock, is not my host. I am the host. My guest, Brock, is also drinking water. Uh, It's one of those things where you weigh the pros and cons. Hydration is supposed to be good for you, but um, I don't like to pee all the time. So that's not fun. (laughs) (laughs) So um, enough about me. Uh, the, The guy that I have on today is... Uh, he lives in Seattle. So we are zooming again. He is, uh, he's a genius. Honestly, I don't, I don't, to be honest, I don't know him that well. We've talked, this is our second conversation, but, um, I follow him on Instagram. My sister-in-law shares his stuff with me all the time. That's how I got connected to him. And his, his, the top of his caption said loves Jesus. And so I reached out and, I saw that he played college football and he loved Jesus. And he just happens to have this social media influence of, he teaches people how to manage. You can actually, how about Brock? You, you, how would you define the role that you have? You are a social media coach. Is that, that's probably, that's probably the simplest, easiest way to put it is I, I help other business owners grow and manage and sell on their social. So I don't myself manage other people's socials. I teach them how to do it themselves so they don't have to rely on managers or, you know, there are a lot of managers who learn from me how to manage other people's, but I don't manage other people's. Yeah. I teach them. I'm like a coach. Exactly. Cool. Cool. You're a coach who wears Crocs, which was actually the, 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 like the, put me over the line to, cause I don't, <laughs> I never like to be that guy who like, it's, it's weird being reaching out to people that you don't know, being like, Hey, this is this project that I'm working on. Would you want to be a part of it? Like, especially someone like it could feel grabby because Brock, you have mm-hmm. a pretty um, substantial social media following. And that's, it would feel gross if I was like, Oh, like, but, but I was reaching out, honestly, I was like, he's a normal dude. Uh, I was scrolling through his Instagram and he has, um, if you guys know me at all, or my wife, the white Crocs are kind of our um, claim to fame. Uh, and he has a, a real way back in his Instagram. I went way back, dude. I'm sorry to mm-hmm. be weird, but him dancing in white Crocs, um, which is just, he's people, he's my people. He's, he's white Croc people. Um, mm-hmm. but Brock, uh, you, if I told you, okay, in 30 seconds, you're in an elevator with somebody, uh, and you mm-hmm. get 30 seconds to introduce, they to, to cover who you are, uh, in 30 seconds, uh, how would you do that? Mm-hmm. I think I'd probably focus on what's going on with me right now, okay. right? Because we, we have 30 seconds. We're, we're in an elevator, like right in the apartment complex that I live in. I live on, on the fourth yeah. floor. So, okay. the, you know, I have this experience all the time where I'm in an elevator. It's quick. You don't have yeah. time to go through like, hey, here's my history. Here's where I went to high school. Here's here's the position I played. Here's my stats. Here's the awards I won in high school. Yeah. Like I got to focus on the current stage or or season of life that I'm in right now. So if I was in an elevator with someone right now talking about this season of life, I would say I am engaged to be married in pretty much like a year from today. And congratulations. Thank you very much for that. And what I do for a living is I help other people grow on social media. That's kind of the simplest elevator pitch that I can give is I help other people grow on social media. That's the season that I'm in. And if they say, Oh, really? That's cool. Like, what do you mean? I mean, I help them grow their following on Instagram and then convert those followers into customers. That's really the the simplest, easiest way to kind of describe who I am right now. Sweet. And you are recently graduated. So you're what, 22? 20, 24. 20, 24. You're 24. Mm-hmm. 22 would be bad math. That would be, yeah. All right. 24. So you are, you are uh, 24, soon to be engaged. You live in Seattle or you're engaged, soon to be married. 
Um, that's awesome. And I, I don't want to take up, I don't want to keep dabbling too much on the, the extras. Cause I want to get to what we're, what you agreed to come <laughs> on for. So, um, I don't really have, we kind of talked about this beforehand. It's uh, like Holy Spirit, include what you want to include and exclude what you feel does not need to be there uh, or that you know that does not need to be there um, and let you have the glory. And so there's really no starting point, Brock. I'm just going to toss it up to you and say, mm-hmm. where do you want to start? Where, what do you want to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess we can kind of go through my my early stages, my my journey with my faith. Um, I was thinking about like, you know, how do I share my, my testimony or what, what are the big points that I want people to take away? Um, and I think that it first starts with kind of an understanding for who I am, because I think if you understand who I am more than just what I do, um, I think then you're kind of be able to understand my, my testimony a little bit more and maybe relate to it a little bit better. Um, so being raised, I think that's kind of a great starting point. Of course, that's Mm -hmm. where we all started. Um, (laughs) I was raised in a very entrepreneurial family. So okay. both my parents bought, owned, and sold businesses their entire lives. They've always been their own bosses. Um, so I've gotten to see both sides of that coin. I've gotten to see um, the fact that they're able to take us to school and pick us up from practice and be at every game. But I've also seen the other side of that coin where my mom's staying up till 2 a.m. working on stuff. Uh, they're stressed about product launches and hiring and firing staff and um, you know both sides, the, the positives and the negatives of that. Um, but also I was raised in a family where my mom was on TV all the time. My mom has the world's re- the world record for the most fitness videos produced by an individual. So if you like ever turn on the TV at 2 AM and you see this little blonde lady teaching a workout video, it's probably my mom. She's even to this day now she's, um, you know, obviously I I'm grown. She's still been doing this for, for 20 or 30 years. So, wow. um, always on TV. And that was something that I grew up with being normal. So people always ask like, what was that like growing up with your mom on TV? I didn't know any different. I understand that 99% of moms probably aren't on TV all the time, but (laughs) I don't, you know, as as a young kid growing up, you only know what you're used to and what the family is that you're a part of. And um, so that was very normal for me is just seeing my mom on TV or my friend saying, oh, hey, I, I saw your mom this morning when I turned on my TV or hey, my mom does your mom's workout videos. So that was something um, that I was very much used to. That was one part of uh, my family growing up. And then the other part of my family uh, was that my grandpa is the second winningest football coach, uh, high school football coach in the state of California, second to only the head coach from De La Salle, which a lot of people know De La Salle. They're you know one of the most historic high school football programs ever. Um, so he's number two in the state of California. He coached and played his whole life. My dad played professional football and of course played for my grandpa. My uncle played professional football and played for my grandpa. And the three of them were the coaches at our local high school. So growing up, I had the mom who was on TV every day. And then I had the dad who was kind of, you know, like I say this kind of jokingly, but like a local celebrity, you know, everyone knows the, the high school football coach in your town. Well, my grandpa was the head coach. And my uncle and my dad were the office of coordinators. So I grew up uh, with, with all of this to say, I grew up with a lot of pressure, um, yeah. not necessarily direct and immediate pressure from my family, um, but a lot of external pressure from society, from people in our town, from friends and, and, and uh, you know, extended family. Um, and then I also probably the biggest source of pressure was internal pressure that I placed on myself. Hmm. I placed a lot of um pressure on myself to be perfect, to live up to the standard that I had felt everyone else in my family had set. Um, I felt pressure. I, I should say I placed this pressure on myself to um, really overachieve and do everything right and never make a mistake and never fail. Um, and of course, I think everyone can probably guess where that led to. That led to a place of extreme perfectionism. Hmm. Um, that led to a place of a lot of anxiety growing up that led to a place of, um, a lot of, of stress that I didn't really deal with growing up. Um, but at the same time, it produced a really successful high school football career, won back-to-back state championships, state player of the year, my senior year, you know, like set a bunch of records, broke a bunch of records, uh, you know, like one X number of games in a row. And so you would say that that was kind of the best and worst thing that could happen to me. Right. Because it's, it's awesome to like 
get to look back and be like, hey, I won a state championship with my grandpa as the coach. I got to do all these things with my dad calling the plays. Like, that's really cool. But on the other hand, that also validated all of this perfectionism. And it made it seem like to me in my, you know, high school mind that all of these stresses and all this pressure and all of this, um, all of these expectations that I had placed on my life, those were, those were, those were correct. Those were validated. Yeah. Those were worth it, it. It was like your identity almost. Exactly. No, absolutely. You weren't Brock. You were the football player who won. And then also mm-hmm. your name is Brock. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, without, without a doubt. Um, and so I want to backtrack really quick and say that I didn't grow up going to church, didn't grow up uh, with, with a real understanding. I would say that I was raised Christian. I believed in God, didn't really know who Jesus was, didn't really understand the story. I, you know, never really opened a Bible for most of my yeah. entire childhood. We just didn't go to church. Um, but we had kind of that belief. Then uh, going into my freshman year of high school, so of course we're a little bit back in this story now, um, going into my freshman year of high school, we got invited by some friends to attend our local church. But we got really blessed because our local church wasn't a little congregation with 20 people down the street. Our yeah. local church was the mega church that is Saddleback Church and Pastor oh. Rick Warren. Uh, so okay. people know like a purpose-driven life, Rick Warren. Yeah. That was our quote unquote, like local in town pastor. Okay. Mega church, thousands of people going to every service. That was like our local, that was our introduction um, to going to church. So we got invited um, going into my freshman year of high school and I took a real liking to it. Um, mm-hmm. And I really, I, I say that I fell hard for Jesus. Like I yeah. went all in. Um, and I very quickly earned the nickname in my family, Pastor Brock, because I kind of like, uh, kind of in, in many ways, like led our family in our faith journey and encouraged mm-hmm. us, like really, you know, begged them to go to church every week and come with me and, and encourage my grandparents to come. And I would go, you know, with friends if my parents were out of town or something. Um, so I very much led us in our faith journey in that way. Um, and then I would say uh, in high school, the way my faith helped me, um, is that, I mean, you heard earlier about all the stress and pressure and and expectations when I was actually playing on Friday nights, there was no stress and there was no anxiety. And that doesn't really correlate. Like that doesn't really make sense. Right. Cause you hear like everything else in my story, you would think that I was a, you know, wreck on Friday nights, just super, even if I'm playing well, super high stress, super high heart rate, all that stuff. But I was always super calm. And I 100% can attribute that to my faith. Hmm. I heard a, uh, a, uh, a service, a sermon pretty early on in my faith journey, um, basically around the, the idea that um, stress or worry is basically directly telling God that you don't trust him. If you've prayed about something, to pray about it and then stress about it is telling God you don't trust him. And so in my young perfectionist mind, I was like, I can't literally tell God like, oh, no, I don't trust you. Like, yeah, I prayed about this, but like, I'm not going to trust you. So I kind of forced myself um, to basically just keep repeating like, no, God's got it taken care of. Hmm. I can't stress about this. Like if I do start to feel anxious or do start to stress, God's got me taken care of. Hmm. God's going to, you know, watch over this game or watch over me or or help me and whatever. Um, And so I can honestly say, um, I didn't stress. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't anxious when I was playing. Um, And and I can really thank, thank God for working in my life. Now, was it necessarily um, the most accurate interpretation? You know, like me just like forcing myself to not stress. I don't know if that was um, exactly the right thing to do. You know, we talk about right and wrong and and my perfectionism, but um, I can honestly say like God watched over me and allowed me to, to not stress and not be anxious during that time. Yeah. That's cool. How has, how do you think your perfectionism has affected your faith? Do you, do you see it bleeding into your relationship with God? Do you see, um, yeah. Do you, do you, Cause I'm, I'm that same way. I'm a perfectionist. I'm, do you, are you an Enneagram guy? Do you know the Enneagram? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Are you a three? I'm a two wing one. You're a two wing one. Okay. I'm a three. And so I'm an achiever. So it comes to like, your stories sounds um, as far in different ways, but similar to mine in the fact that like, uh, I, I 
did all of these things achievement wise. I, mm-hmm. I had people who um, saw me as only what I achieved in my brain, like in my brain, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, when I went to go, so I don't know if you, you probably wouldn't know this, but I ended up quitting football because of an eating disorder that I developed. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when I quit football, I called my dad and was like, will you still love me if I don't play football? Mm-hmm. Like, would you think grandma and grandpa will still be proud of me if they can't say, Oh, my grandson plays mm-hmm. college football. Um, so like everything in my whole life has always been achieving mm-hmm. in my brain so that you love me. Like, mm-hmm. and that, that has correlated and has not correlated. That's the wrong word has, has bled into my faith. Like, God, I'm doing all this for you. Do you love mm-hmm. me? Mm-hmm. Um, have, have you experienced that at all? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's kind of perfect segue. And I totally relate that high school experience. I was in love with Jesus. I was deep in my faith, but I was using it like um, through acts, if you will. So I was Mm -hmm. saying, you know, if I do this, God will love me. I will earn his favorite, earn his favor. Um, You know, I, I very much had this idea of who Jesus was. And I thought, I need to work as hard as I can to be as much like him as I can. Hmm. I thought, and very much my interpretation of my faith in high school was I need to be perfect. I need to live up to the standard that Jesus had set. I need to live up to the standard that my, my parents had said, my grandparents and, and you know, the, the pressures that I had set on myself, but most of all, I need to live up to this perfect expectation or, or not even expectation, but this perfect example uh, that is Jesus Christ. That was my high school experience. Um, and it wasn't until um, I went through a pretty lowercase t traumatic event uh, my freshman year of high school where my then girlfriend at the time, uh, we'd been dating for a few years and uh, went through some just some some tough times uh, that don't need to go too far into details on. Yeah. Uh, but I started going to therapy. Um, we ended our relationship and I started going to therapy and my therapist asked me, um, it might've been even like our first ever conversation. Um, and I was kind of telling her my life story and telling her like, what's my plan heading forward. And she said, um, and part of that plan was I'm going to play in the NFL. And she said, what happens if you don't? And she loved recounting that story because I was dumbfounded. Like I legitimately, that, that was not, not even an option. No, it wasn't even something I had considered. Yeah. Right. Because everything else in my life had I have to be perfect. I have to do it right. I have to live up to everyone's expectations. Most of all, I have to live up to my expectations. I have to do it right. I have to be perfect. And so far, it had been pretty much so good. Like so far, it'd been like, okay, I got to win a state championship. I did it. Check. Got to play college football. Okay, I'm doing it. Check. So, so far, I had had that, like we talked about earlier, that external validation that kind of validated my perfectionism or so I thought. Yeah. Um, And she asked me that. And I can point to that as like a huge turning point in my faith and in my life because I started to realize and, and really from going to therapy, I was able to heal and overcome a lot of my perfectionism. Hmm. Um, and I, I hear this funny quote. I was also a people pleaser that it's, uh, you know, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Is that okay? <laughs> Is that like, okay? You know, like, <laughs> um, you know so, so that's something that I'm absolutely still dealing with and still working on. And it's an ever ongoing process. Um, but it was that question. It was that event. It was going to therapy and and everything that led up to that, that led me to the point where I'm at now, which is where I feel like I've really turned a corner. And I recognize that, uh, the point of Jesus is that he already did that. He already was perfect. It is finished. The goal of our faith is not to be as close to perfect as we can. We can't Mm -hmm. earn favor. We can't, um, act a certain way, pick up a certain amount of trash, throw a certain number of touchdowns, uh, you know, send a a certain amount of nice texts to earn better rankings in God's eyes. Yeah. And that's kind of like, that's where I feel like that transition took place is it, it, I needed a wake up call and the wake up call was, Hey, the cheerleader girlfriend and I broke up. Hey, Mm -hmm. I'm not at USC or, or Notre Dame or Florida or Texas. You know, I'm playing at Georgetown, great school, but not necessarily what you think of as a powerhouse football program. You know, academically, they're pretty, they're pretty good though. Oh, great. Academically, great. Academically. Absolutely. 
But most people, when you say you played football at Georgetown, they say, oh, I didn't know they had a football team. I thought they only had a basketball team. <laughs> yeah, That's the conversation. So that was a part of a wake-up call. Um, I actually ended up transferring from Georgetown. That was something I thought I would never do. That was part of a wake-up call. I'm sitting in therapy as a 21-year-old or 20-year-old, 21-year-old. My therapist is like, what if you don't play in the NFL? Huge wake-up call. So I kind of had all these awakenings and they led me to see Jesus in a new light. Hmm. Um, I'm really, really thankful for that. Dude, I love what you're saying. And I'm, it's funny that, I mean, I do these podcasts with the idea of it's for all these men out there. Like I want them to hear stories, but so often it's literally for me as I sit and talk with these guys, like, like our stories are so similar in the fact that like, I went to a school where people are like, oh, they have a football team and, or like, like it's an academic school and they're really good at baseball. And then people are like, oh, and I transferred after a year and I came to my, back to my home state and I didn't like, like the idea of not going, I, I was going through, I like to write. And so I was going through my notes the other day and I found this poem that I had written and it talked about like everything that I like planned on is this was like after I quit, it was like, is no longer like, like I have no clue what's going to go on here for like forward. And that's mm -hmm. terrifying. And like, mm -hmm. at the time I didn't run to Jesus, like you, you did. And that is like, kudos to you. Like that's, that is something that, um, I think I wish like, if I could go back to that day, me and be like, Hey, also look at this, this guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, um, so I want to touch on one thing before you move forward. I don't, cause I'll forget, but um, I've landed on this idea through this podcast. It started out with normalizing normal men talking about normal things. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've even simplified it down to just normalize men talking. Like mm -hmm. if, if you want like to ask men to share their testimonies, they have, that's like round two. Um, the first, the first tier is, Hey, they, we need to be able to just talk to each other. And that feels like something Mm -hmm. or to each other or to anybody like, yeah. uh, you went to therapy, you went to counseling. Um, I go to counseling. I love counseling. Uh, mm -hmm. you're speaking to the benefits of it. Um, can you speak a little bit to the idea of how, uh, just go a little bit more into dude, being a 21 year old kid who's in college. Well, you started in high school going to counseling, right? You said when your girlfriend, that was you my, broke first, up. my first time, my first time going to therapy was yeah. In high school. Yeah. Was, was, was in high school. So, uh, that is like stigma opposing from the beginning. Like that is, mm -hmm. uh, from the beginning, like as a high school boy, high school boys don't have feelings or so <laughs> they make it seem like, um, especially, um, I compare my, have you ever seen one tree Hill? Do you know no. that show? Okay. Well, this is, I'm putting my, I'm, I'm putting myself on blast here, but <laughs> one tree Hill is very much like a Gilmore girls type show. Do you know Gilmore girls? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. My wife watches Gilmore girls. So, um, Gilmore girls, it's very like a teenage girl. Um, but, <laughs> uh, there's a, a character there who he's sounds like you, where it's like, um, prom king, uh, mm -hmm. good at school football mm -hmm. player stud, like state champion, like all of a sudden, like, but he does like, you are that you were what people look to and you went to counseling. Um, so can you speak to that a little bit to the idea mm -hmm. of like, what were your thoughts when someone first said, Hey, you should go to counseling or you should go to therapy. Yeah. So, um, this was another, um, thing that like, I grew up pretty normal to me. Um, my mom has always been a huge fan and proponent of therapy. Her okay. best friend or one of her closest friends for most of my life is a therapist. Uh, her and my dad were both always very transparent with my sister and I, and we knew that they went to therapy separately and together as a couple throughout our lives. Um, funny enough, my first time going to therapy when I was in high school um, was something called performance enhancing EMDR, which is a specific kind of therapy that's for athletes in order to um, improve their, basically their performance, improve how they play. So that totally aligns, right? With like who I was in high yeah. school. Like if I want to be the best, I want to be perfect. I want to do it right. Then hit all the boxes, is, you know, this is a way to kind of like, you know, get better. Yes. But also yeah. um, the way God was working in my life was that was an introduction to therapy. 
Mm. That was an introduction to what it's like. That was starting to break down the stigma for me, but breaking it down from the sense of, oh, well, it's going to make me better at my, at my sport. So it's not, you know, I'm not broken and there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not, you know, I don't have any problems. I'm great. This is just going to make me better. This is going to make me a better athlete. That was, you know, kind of the veil that my high school mind viewed it through. That was yeah. the veil that, um, you know, that was kind of what covered it up and what made it okay at the time. Hmm. Um, and then also, of course, having a mom who was very much a, a huge proponent and fan of it. Um, and then when I kind of went through everything, I went through my freshman year of college, it was something I was already used to a little bit because it was something I had done in the past and I understood the benefits of it. Um, and I understood the need for it. And I was like, I, I'm just going to go. Um, and so I'm going to start going. And then I saw the benefits that it had in my life. And I saw the way mm. it changed my life. And I saw, you know, the way I would spend two or three hour long therapy sessions in some of those early days, like intensives. Yeah. I'd get done and I'd be exhausted. And I'd go straight to In-N-Out and I'd get a burger and I'd drive home <laughs> just like drained, emotionally exhausted. Um, but it really changed my life. And mm. I started to see the benefits of it. Um, and I started to read books. One of my favorite books is uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. I got it on my bookshelf right back there. Yeah. Um, that book also about mental health and, and totally changed my life as someone who was a perfectionist and cared so deeply about literally everything and gave an F about literally everything and what everyone thought about me and everything. Um, so that book absolutely changed my life. I mean, now, fast forward four years later, my fiance is in school to become a therapist. So oh. can't ever get away from it now. Um, you know, <laughs> always around it. You're going um, to get used to saying, don't therapist me. This is <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I, and I go to therapy myself on a weekly basis and we're not married yet, but sometimes we go together to do like couples therapy. Yeah. Um, and I just look at it as an extension of health at this point. Like for me now it's become so normalized and it's become, uh, there is no stigma in my mind that it's a part of health. I mean, we go to the gym, not because we have a broken arm or because we have a, you know, strained muscle, we go to the gym to get stronger, to be healthier, to be able yeah. to live longer. And yet we don't do the same for our brain. So mm. few of us go to therapy or counseling or, you know, do anything for, for our mental health and our emotional health because there's such a stigma around it. And so now it's becomes something that's like totally normal. It's a part of me being healthy. It's a part of being a better partner for my fiance. It's a part of being a better business owner. It's part of being a better son and Christ follower and brother. Um, so for me, it's it's become so normal. And I recognize that it's so not for so many men. And it's yeah. so stigmatized for so many men. Um, so I try to preach it from the rooftops. That is the one thing that I I definitely try to scream as loud as I can and make noise about mental yeah. health and destigmatizing therapy and, and seeking out help and, and all of that. Dude, that's so cool. You're, it's, it's proactive for you uh, exactly. Than, exactly. rather than reactive. Absolutely. Um, that's really cool. I like that a lot. I've, I um, have seen the fruit of it in my life and you very obviously have seen it in yours. Uh, have you, um, so Back to your story really quick. Uh, you had talked about, you had mentioned the kind of the, I don't know if it would be letdowns because to say you went to Georgetown is not a letdown. Like you, you know what I mean? But like in your yeah. brain, trust, trust me, I get it's, it. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, it kind of feels at least the picture I keep seeing is like this pyramid of like you had built everything on your whole life on this mm -hmm. foundation that is image. And it's this little narrow, mm -hmm. like at the yeah. base, it was my worth is this image. And then you built this huge image. Yeah. What happens in your life? What happened in your life when um, you didn't meet the the Brock image of what you expected? Because to the, to the, trust me, to the, to the, to me, like who doesn't know, I'm not inside your brain. I'm like, dude, you went to Georgetown. That's freaking sweet. Like you won two state championships. Cool. Even as like petty as it is, I'm like, I won one and you won two. Screw you. Like, <laughs> but, uh -huh. like yeah. but like, but like, but like, uh, I, I, my, my pyramid toppled when I didn't all of a sudden have some of those things that I mm -hmm. built my image on. Um, some of the blocks got pulled out and it all fell down. Um, what was your, what was your experience of, uh, not 
meeting your your self um, imposed expectations. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. Um, and, and I definitely recognize Georgetown is a great academic school. And when I tell people <laughs> that I transferred from Georgetown, especially when I was at UC Davis and I would tell um, students who didn't play sports and didn't care about sports, they yeah. you know, only cared about the academics. And I would tell them I transferred to Davis or I transferred from Georgetown. The looks like, I would get. Yeah. Like, what? And I mean, Davis is a great school. It's top four. I just saw the ranking top four public school in the country. So it's still a great school. But when people yeah. are like, you transferred from Georgetown? But for me, again, I think that was such a perfect analogy. It was this pyramid that was built on this very specific foundation. And Georgetown wasn't part of that foundation. An yeah. FCS school was not a part of that foundation. An FCS mm -hmm. school uh, that most people don't even realize has a football team was not part of that foundation. Um, and so for me, I wasn't able to recognize all of the great things that I was achieving. I wasn't able to recognize anything as good enough because there mm. was no such thing as good enough in my life. There was perfect or nothing. And of course, nothing is ever going to be perfect. So it was constantly nothing. There was constantly things missing. It constantly felt like there was, there was nothing there. You know, yeah. I, was, I was missing what I was striving for because yeah, I was never going to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. And it's almost like you, you don't get, when you live that life, like you don't get to celebrate anything because mm -hmm. when some, when you achieve something, it's like, well, yeah, that's expected. That's supposed to have happened. Cool. Yeah. What's the next thing? So Absolutely. like, even if, even if you would have made it to USC and you were mm -hmm. the starting quarterback for USC, mm -hmm. cool. You expected that now. Cool, yeah, I no, need that's, to be that's, a, that's the bare minimum. That's expected. You, okay. Now yeah. I need to be the, the record setter of every record at USC. Now and then when, and when that happens, duh, draft. because that was expected and I'm not yes. the first rounder and why am I not Tom Brady? And yes. then all of a sudden the dude, I get it. That's, um, that's how is life post transferring to UC Davis been, uh, as far as, uh, okay. You, you're now, you're now living in. Dude, I live in it constantly of the life of the, like, and maybe you're not, but I live constantly in this life of could have, should have, um, mm -hmm. at post transfer post not playing football. Mm -hmm. Um, how did you, so you obviously, you went on to UC Davis, you played there. Mm -hmm. Um, what was life post transfer like for you? Mm -hmm. I'll say for the first two years or so, it was nonstop that it was a lot of could have, should have, would have bitterness. Um, still kind of kind of teetering both end lines both uh sides of the line on this one yeah where i saw like hey the plan has been blown up nothing is going according to plan but still being like i could still you know sneak my way back into the plan like i could still mm -hmm. work this out um but i transferred to george or er, from georgetown to uc davis where i was now no longer on scholarship so i went okay. from being a at least at georgetown i was on an academic scholarship because they don't have athletic scholarships for the football team okay. I was on. So I was at least on some kind of a scholarship. Then I transferred to UC Davis. I'm on no scholarship. And I walked on to the football team. My first year I was like invited, but they only could have certain number of quarterbacks and they okay. weren't going to have me who was ineligible anyways, because I transferred. So transfer. I had to sit out for a year anyways. Um, luckily I still had my red shirt, but I had to sit out for a year. So technically I wasn't even on the roster that year. Hmm. So I didn't get to practice. I had to take a step back and had to basically become like an assistant coach that year. I was like the signal board guy and the guy who like relayed information between the offensive coordinator wow. and the quarterback. So I was basically like an assistant coach, which on one hand, now looking back, I'm like, that was really freaking cool. Like yeah. I could have just been a red shirt ineligible and just sat at home on the weekends. But instead I got to go to every game and kind of like call myself an assistant coach and, you know, yeah. be on the sidelines and be in it. Um, so that was really awesome, but not at the time, at the yeah, time, hum it was like humbling at the time for sure. I bet. At the time. Humbling at the time because you know, everything that has gone on so far and now fast forward in two years from state champion to not even on the roster. Um, yeah. and then, uh, the next two years hardly played at all. I think I threw nine passes for the rest of my college career. Wow. Um, but, and, and, and of course at the time at first, really humbling and really struggled. And at times like, man, I should be out there, man, I should be doing this different. I should be doing this different. Um, but the starting quarterback 
ended up setting a lot of school records and FCS records. And he's now playing Canadian football and he is a flipping stud and he is so talented and he's one of my best friends. And he ended up becoming my roommate, my housemate, and we became best of friends. So this guy who, you know, a few years earlier, I would have been like bitter. Oh, I got to beat him out. Oh, I'm better than him. Um, All this stuff. He became one of my best friends. He to this day, like I literally talk to him every single day. He became my housemate. Um, and so by my last two years at UC Davis, I would say that was kind of when I officially turned the corner. Um, by those last two years, I had totally let go of this plan of like, okay, I'm going to, you know, here's how the college career is going to go. going to play in the NFL, going to you know do all these things. Totally let go of the plan and was like, I'm just going to really enjoy being here and I'm going to find joy. And so I guess that's kind of the final piece of my testimony is my offensive coordinator at UC Davis. Um, he's now the offensive coordinator at Boise State, but he preaches um, this mindset of finding joy. And really finding joy, uh, the, the comparison there is finding joy versus seeking happiness. And the way he describes it is basically um, happiness is circumstantial, it's temporary, it's fleeting. It's something that as soon as you achieve it, it's like, okay, what's next? Like, what, what, what's better? Like, that's not, not okay, cool, that's, that's great, but what's next? Okay, I made a million dollars, but what about 10 million? Okay, what about a billion, you know? Yeah. Okay, cool, I won the state championship, you know, got to play D1, like we've been talking about. Yeah. Um, and, of course, you know, we can go through the whole, I wouldn't have ever been at Georgetown, or wouldn't have ever been at UC Davis. We could go back and trace it all to every little thing that had gone wrong in the plan that ended me up here at UC Davis and hearing that story of finding joy. But I really can say that um, that's another huge turning point in my life, a huge corner cornerstone in my faith journey. And, and really in my entire life is this principle of finding joy. Um, mm. And you can find joy even on the worst days. You can uh, experience joy even if you lose the football game, even if the scoreboard says that you lost. You can still find joy, even if things don't exactly go according to plan. You can still find joy because joy is in the process itself, um, and that meant so much to me. And I now have a ginormous, painful tattoo on my ribs that took like six <laughs> hours that says "Find Joy." Um, wow. But that's how much that meant to me, um, mm-hmm. and that's very much a, a guiding principle in my life now. Um, because now I can honestly say, I truthfully, I don't look back at my career playing sports and playing football and woulda, coulda, shoulda, wish I would have done this, wish I would have played here. I honestly look back at it. I'm, I'm so thankful for the opportunity I, I, for everything I got. Um, I think the proudest moment looking back on my football career was my senior year winning teammate of the year. Mm. I think I threw three passes. I think mm. I like hardly played more than a minute in a football game that year, but I won teammate of the year for everything I was able to, to do to just be on the team. And help yeah. out on my teammates and, and be a friend and be a brother. Um, and to be totally honest, that's that's the what I'm most proud of looking back on my career. Dude, that's so cool to hear. Just hearing your story and being able to see the picture that you kind of painted of yourself, what would be five years ago now, um, in high school. Because uh, I, can, I can picture like it being on someone who has built their, their life on image. Mm-hmm. how humbling it would have been at that first time when someone I could see you walking in like in the students, the student center and someone be like, Oh, you play on the football team. And in your brain, you're like, uh, well, kind of not really a little bit yeah. like, like, and yeah. to, to being named and that being probably just like, like awful on your tongue to being named the, teammate of the year, which is all the behind the scenes things. Mm-hmm. That is, yeah. that is not, that is not image at all. That is character. Um, which I think your character kind of shapes your image. Um, but you're like, you're not putting on this thing to be the player of the, the, the teammate of the year. And I think that's super cool. I, um, I, I have a question and mm-hmm. cause, um, you are, very so social media is mm-hmm. image based mm-hmm. it is very much um putting out there the best of you 
right? Mm-hmm. Um, putting out the perfect of you, how like how literally I saw this earlier. I was trying to take a picture of because if you saw me right now, you see me. But if you saw mm-hmm. not the camera, uh, my laptop is sitting on a box <laughs> with my uh, baby's car seat uh, and a tummy time four in one. Uh, <laughs> my boom stand is connected to a piano uh, uh, stool. And like, I'm in a room, I'm in my nursery. Um, Mm -hmm. and I went to go take a picture. I was like, Oh, it's not a good enough picture. I don't want, I like, (laughs) I, it's not the perfect picture. I don't, I don't want to take a picture of it. Mm -hmm. How has someone who has wrestled with, um, perfectionism and, Mm -hmm. uh, in their life, how do you walk that line of, you you now make your living off of social media, off of a perfectionism, a field that feeds on it, like fosters perfectionism. Absolutely. Um, I think two things. Number one, I preach and I also don't believe, um, that perfectionism isn't how you have success on social media. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that social media, uh, that perfection is, is something that you should try to be on social media. I think that we all have this understanding that social media breeds perfectionism, that, you know, there's the filters, there's the Photoshop, Mm -hmm. there's the fancy private jets, and there's the vacations and look how perfect my life is. We all have this, this stigma around social media when, you know, that stigma around social media, yet we all don't like that. I was at a conference this weekend and I asked the crowd and everyone screamed back. They, they hate that. They hate the idea that you have to be perfect on social media. I think it's an outdated belief that you have to be perfect on social media. Hmm. So I preach to my students and I believe myself, you don't have to be. And actually that if you try to be perfect on social media, that's a really easy recipe to suck and to not Hmm. grow and to fail because either people are going to see right through your perfection. They're going to know that it's fake and know that it's BS because we all see through that now. It's not 2013, where if you had a cool filter, everyone's like, whoa, look at that. We're all like, okay, <laughs> you, whatever, you bought a $1.99 filter, you slapped it on your photo and you used some Photoshop. Yeah. Um, so people see through that. Um, mm-hmm. That's the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is I'm reminded on almost a daily basis of how the plan on social media, nothing ever goes according to plan. Like if we can get real tangible, Every single time I post a reel that I think is going to be like a hilarious, great, this one's going to be a hit, this one's going to awesome, go viral. No, it's like one of my lower performing ones. I had a reel, and this is a perfect example. A couple of weeks ago, I posted it and I hadn't posted it for like three weeks. I recorded it and for like three weeks, I just let it sit in my like drafts. I let it sit and I was like this, like I have other stuff to post. This one's not going to do very good. I'll save it for a rainy day. I'll save it for one of those times where I'm like, okay, I haven't posted, like I have nothing else that I've created. Yeah. So literally, um, I spent a couple of days traveling and I had nothing left to post. So I was like, okay, fine. Like, whatever, I'll post this one. And it did great. It's had like half a million views right now. Like it's my mm-hmm. best performing video in the last like two months. Wow. And if you ask me, I'm like, this, this wasn't very good. Like this was, took me like 10 seconds to create. It's like in a dimly lit room. It doesn't check any of the boxes that I usually tell people yeah. to check off when they're creating a post. And so that just goes to show you that you can try to make this perfect social media post. You can try to, check every box, dot every I, cross every T, then ultimately it's still going to be the stuff that you're like whipping up in 10 seconds that does the best. Hmm. And so like social media literally on a daily basis affirms to me that nothing's going to go according to plan, definitely not according to my plan. Um, And I can try to be as perfect as I want, but (laughs) it's not going to work out. It's not going to be as successful as the stuff that I just whipped together. And I'm like, yeah, this is good enough, whatever. That's the stuff yeah. that always does the best. So like social media, it's funny because it, like you said, it very much has a stigma that it breeds perfectionism. But for me, it affirms the idea of good enough. For me, social media affirms this, um, this belief that like perfect, we can't be perfect. We can try as hard as we want, but we can't be. It's never going to work out. Um, and that good enough is good enough. Dang. Good enough is good enough. I love that. I, um, I don't want to add to it because you're the, you're the expert in it because, um, I asked you the question. So I'm going to go to the next question that I have for you that I've kind of, um, tried to keep in my brain as we were talking. Um, so I have this dream to one day provide counseling, 
um, services. I would love to create a team. I would love to run a podcast one day. So if you want to join up with me on that one day, um, to, uh, to speak to high school students who were in you and I or, and parents of high school students that were in the, in your and I's shoes of like, mm-hmm. um, being recruited, being, um, but um, honestly, like meeting mental health needs of students that they don't even realize that they have, um, what would be one thing that you could say to somebody who is getting ready to, cause there's, there are, um, just, there are high school students who listen to this, um, mm-hmm. Uh, there's a wide range. I'm learning that people that I'm like not even expecting <laughs> are like, Oh, listen to your podcast. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> um, but like, what would be something that you would say to somebody? And maybe we could even narrow it. Uh, we could broaden it to the fact of like, they, they didn't, meet, they are perfectionists and they didn't meet their expectations. What would be like one little piece of encouragement or advice that you would say to somebody that you have like something that you wish someone would have said to you, uh, before it like crumbled a little bit. Mm. So, so this is what I would say to someone who is a perfectionist and is currently dealing with the crumble or they're starting to have things not go their way. Is that, is that who I'm talking to? Yeah, let's do that. Or both okay, or, one, one that's one that's uh, to avoid the crumble. And then one that's mid crumble. Okay. Yeah. Um, if you're in the crumble, it sucks to hear it, but this is the best thing that can happen to you the worst thing that can happen to you if you're a perfectionist is to have things keep going your way and to have things, uh, you know, have it keep working out because those external circumstances are going to continue to validate your perfectionism. And you're going to be stuck in this perpetual loop. Like we talked about earlier of achievement. That's not good enough. Okay. Yeah. That's like, that's what I expected, but it's not good enough having to achieve more, Hmm. you know, until eventually you know, it crumbles down when you're in your forties or your fifties. I was really lucky that it came crumbling down when I was 21 rather than when I was 48 and had three kids, you know, that would be a a much worse situation to go through and have my life come crumbling down. uh, And all these plans fall through when I have a a big family to take care of or something, you know, really lucky to take care that it happened when it was just me and I was 21 and my problems had to do with being a football player, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would say to someone who is a perfectionist and is experiencing the crumble. Um, to someone who is a perfectionist and they haven't experienced it yet, they're listening right now and maybe they related to a lot of you and I's story from our struggles with perfectionism and a lot of our stories from uh, just the challenges and the beliefs. Like maybe they, you know, really, they're like, wait, I believe that myself right now as I'm listening to this. Oh, maybe I, maybe I am a perfectionist. Yeah. Um, I would say, honestly, find Jesus and find a great therapist. Hmm. Like I, I, I was honestly, I was thinking I was going to give a motivational speech right, right now and talk to you about forget perfectionism and talk to you about, um, you know, the fact that perfectionism is a rejection of our humanity. But honestly, find Jesus and find a great therapist. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah, find it's it's not it's find Jesus. And I mean, the Holy spirit is referred to as the great counselor in the Bible. Mm -hmm. Uh, so a find Jesus, you're finding a counselor, but then also find a real life person counselor. Um, and I'll put in the, if you're in the Denver area, I will put a a link in the show notes, uh, to a, a bunch of local, um, Red Rocks Church provides a, a page of um, Christian counselors um, and resources. Um, so I'll provide that for you guys here in the show notes. Um, but Brock, I dude, I appreciate you a ton for for coming on, for taking time. Uh, you're busy, dude. Uh, you're you're a smart dude, uh, and that's very apparent. Uh, and I just appreciate uh, you imparting wisdom uh, for being. Uh, you're two years younger than me, but, um, you're, you're, you're preaching to me. And so, um, I appreciate your time. I appreciate, uh, you sharing your heart. Uh, and did I just, do you have any last words of, uh, of Brock wisdom before you, before you go? 
Uh, I think I've said everything I wanted to say, but I, I really do cool. appreciate you for having me. Um, I think this is a uh, really cool podcast, really cool project. I think I, I, I'm Thank hesitant you. to call it a, a podcast. I know that's what it is, but it, like you said, it, it's a project. Um, yeah. And I do get a million direct messages a day. That's not to toot my own horn. That's, you know, that's part that's of it. When you, when you, when you, that's what happens when you, when you grow a social media following, you get a lot of messages yeah. and I do get a lot of um, podcast requests. And again, not to toot my own horn. That's, that's a part of it. Um, but I made the decision to be on this podcast because I, I really um, think this is a, a great message. This is a great platform. Mm. I think this is a great project. Um, and I'm Thank really you. thankful to see the way God is working in you and working in the lives of everyone whose ears we're in right now. Yeah. Um, that's really, really cool and powerful to see. And so I appreciate you, uh, for creating this project and for allowing me yeah. to be a part of it. Dude, it was an honor. It truly was. Uh, I, I can't wait to see what it does. I'm excited to see what it does. It's in the baby stages. Uh, and you know, with anything that happens, uh, on a platform that is outside of yourself. So like Instagram or Spotify or, mm -hmm. um, it takes time to grow and you're in the baby stages of it with me. And so I appreciate you a ton. Um, thank you guys for listening and until next time, peace out. Peace. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of the over a drink podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at the over a drink podcast and on Twitter at over underscore a underscore drink. Reach out and send me a message. I'd also like to encourage you to visit our website at theoveradrinkpodcast.com and sign up for our email newsletter. We're working on weaponizing testimonies here on this podcast, and that isn't exclusive to those who are on the podcast. I'd love for you to send me an email at overadrinkpodcast at gmail.com with a written version of your testimony. I'll put it together in a blog format and then we send it out to everybody on that email list. And in an instant, your testimony will become a weapon. You never know what God is teaching you in your story that may affect somebody else's story. Finally, I want to invite you to join me in supporting this project. There will be a link in the episode notes to a platform called Buy Me a Coffee that will allow you to partner financially with the Over a Drink podcast on a monthly or one-time basis to help move the mission forward of reconfiguring societal norms of what a man should be. Keep an eye out for our next episode. Peace.